Hello and welcome to another episode of the Engineers Collective, brought to you from the safety of lockdown here in the UK. As the country begins to get back to work over the next few weeks and months, we continue to send the entire civil engineering sector our best wishes in these strange and unprecedented times. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. To find out more about Bentley's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, go to bentley.com. Welcome to the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith and I'm joined today by my colleagues on New Civil Engineer, Nadine Badu and Rob Horgan. Hi there, guys. Hi, everyone. Hi. So when I say we're, I'm joined, I mean, we're all looking at each other on laptop screens rather than actually being together, because despite the slight relaxation in lockdown rules in England, we're all still working from home and making use of technology to keep in touch and keep working. Use of digital workflows and technology and construction is something we'll cover more in depth later in our interview with this episode's special guest, Dustin Partman from Bentley Systems. But first, let's talk about what the easing of lockdown means for the construction sector in the UK. We've all seen images of people crowding onto trains despite the plea to avoid public transport. But was asking people to change their travel patterns almost overnight an impossible ask? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was an impossible ask. Um, before you ask people to change, uh, you have to provide a realistic alternative, which at the moment I don't think there is for everyone, which is evidenced by the pictures of the packed trains, um, which pretty much happened straight after Boris Johnson's announcement uh, calling for everyone to go back to work who couldn't work from home. Um, obviously, more people can cycle and there are cycle lanes in some places, um, but depending on how far you have to travel and how fit you are, um, depends on on whether or not that's a, a realistic option for you. And in London in particular, um, I, I already cycle in and, and it is quite a, a dangerous and slightly frightening experience some of the time. And that's that's not just because of the road traffic. It's also because there there are already a lot of cyclists on the roads. So I come down the Holloway Road in North London into Central London, and every set of traffic lights there's maybe twenty cyclists bustling for space with one another, crammed next to buses, which are then next to normal uh, road vehicles. So there's they need to make cycle lanes not only more extensive but also wider, in my opinion. Um, so Sadiq Khan's obviously trying to address this with his street scene plans, which he's given a few more details on today. Um, and he's, he's said that it won't just be for central London. He's hoping to roll it out across all of greater London. So hopefully us, us up in North London, will will get some better cycle lanes and likewise in the sort of South, South of London as well. So, um, that can only be a good thing. Um, but obviously, it takes time to roll out. Um, tra- transport sector, tra- go on. I was going to say, Transport Scotland as well have, have committed £10 million to what they're calling pop up for infrastructure as well, haven't they, for walking and cycling? Yeah, and that's similar to what we're seeing in, in London as well, is this sort of, these sort of marked off uh, zones for extra cycle lanes and also wider pavements for people walking as well. But that's obviously just a sort of short term. Uh, stopgap and you, you need the uh, the more permanent works to be fast-tracked as soon as possible in my opinion. So Grant Shapps he committed two billion pounds to walking and cycling is that actually going to happen do we do we what that's going to be spent on or where that's coming uh, from? Yeah there's been no uh, firm commitment to what that actually means and it's, it's just um, recommitting to 
spending that had already been allocated. So it's sort of repeating a commitment that the the Tory party had already committed itself to. Um, Apparently, there will be more details in the summer, whenever that is. um, So, but in my opinion, if you're asking people to go back now in May, a a decision on these schemes in the summer is is a bit too late. It's almost after after the horse is bolted. So... Um, the sooner the better in terms of getting these schemes rolled out and and underway. So when we do start to travel into the office, I know I'm going to find it difficult to avoid a train. I already walk almost two miles to, into the office from London Bridge to avoid the tube, but it's a 20-mile cycle. I mean, I'm happy to do that on a weekend, but not before and after work, and especially not in winter. Maybe it's time to invest in a moped. What about both of you? What will you do to adapt? Um, for me personally, I am struggling to kind of work out how I would get to the office and remain kind of two mis- a two metre distance away from other commuters for the whole route. I mean, walking the entire journey just isn't practical. I think it, I worked out it would take about three and a half hours just to walk into the office. So that's not going to happen. Um, so I would definitely have to use public transport for at least part of the journey, which isn't ideal at the moment. But it's the reality that a lot of people are facing. I think I might have to join you, Claire, and kind of invest in that moped. Maybe we can uh, share the cost and it will do alternate days in the office <laughs> what about you Rob uh for me like I said I, I cycle sometimes already although the prospects of me cycling every day is is pretty slim uh but um my my main concern is more what happens when I get to the office obviously we've got a small shower in our office but if more people are cycling and then everyone's having a shower once they get to the office surely that's almost as bad as getting on the tube um so I guess it's definitely the to... breeding ground for coronavirus. Yeah. So as well as as well as upgrading the transport infrastructure, I think offices will have to sort of uh, upgrade their their facilities they provide as well. Um, so there's a lot of, sort of retrofitting to be done. But longer term, what does the change in travel patterns mean for public transport? In mid-May, we saw Transport for London begging for a bailout with concerns over bankruptcy. Is that something we're going to see more of? What exactly happened in London? Yeah, so um, Transport for London and London Mayor State Khan have for years been calling for the the reintroduction of a uh, a government operating grant, which uh, I think was was taken away in 2015 by central government. So that was a that was a 700 million pound operating grant, which TfL lost. Uh, overnight and has had to rely on a combination of its fares and congestion charge and and advertising for its revenue since then obviously with the with the decline in services and people using the underground and the bus network that's massively hit their their finances um, and there's been a bit of a war words between car chaps over what what the actual root cause of the financial problems were, with, with Shap suggesting that it was cost overspends on projects like Crossrail, which actually have actually put TfL into this financial mess. Um, but long term, you can't see uh, TfL being able to survive without a, a central grant from 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 government and if if they're going to be in charge of rolling out more cycling schemes for example which they don't get any revenue from then you think the government would have to assist in some way to to help fund those schemes so i mean if tfl's um struggling then i guess public transport in other cities other towns is going to struggle too yeah you would imagine it will be it'll end up being a similar picture 
elsewhere. If, if the government wants people to use trains less or get put less people onto trains, then you you would assume that other uh, parts of the country are going to suffer a similar way to TfL. Um, and I repeat my point: if if the government wants more people to be cycling and wants more cycle lanes, then then those local authorities need to be given the cash to to roll it out and also to compensate for the lack of people on the on the trains and the tubes. I think the recovery is certainly going to be challenging for all sectors. I mean, the Office for National Statistics on put out figures on the construction output in May, which showed just how sharp the impact was on civil the civil engineering sector. You know, it's, uh, there was the biggest contraction since the 2008 recession and the fastest fall recorded since ONS started charting monthly figures. I think output fell by 5.9% in March and it had already been impacted in February with all the wet weather. What other changes have you seen? Have you seen a number of other companies talking about drops in revenue and that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. There's been a, there's been a massive slowdown and it doesn't really show any sign of... Uh, picking up at the back end of the year um coupled with that is the sort of environmental uh agenda and the need to get to net zero so there's sort of less appetite we've seen a lot of airport schemes paused or or scrapped entirely over the last few weeks so the latest one being birmingham airport's 500 million pound expansion being put on hold um planning decisions over manston airport in kent have been delayed obviously the heathrow um court case rumbles on and we that if if it does get the go, go ahead that will now be significantly delayed um and we're seeing a similar thing on the roads now as well with a uh, legal challenge mounted against highways england's ris2 plans and uh several schemes I've, I've lost count of how many schemes now the planning decisions have been have been pushed back um of the most high profile of which would be the the A303 upgrade, including the Stonehenge Tunnel, which I, I believe you delved into earlier this week, Claire. Yeah, yeah I was looking into that, and there's, there's only a couple of months delay on the planning decision, but the additional time that they needed for the environmental and archaeological data is actually going to add a year to the programme, so now that won't open until 2027 at the earliest. It's quite a concern when you get all these projects being delayed. It's also um, the Westminster revamp as well, um, that's been reviewed at the moment. And that's worth four billion pounds. Yes, yeah, it seems to be across the board. The sort of pipeline of work seems to be drying up. Perhaps not for now, but these sort of future projects that we were expecting to come online the back end of this year, the start of next year, decisions over them seem to be seem to be being delayed. And as you said, like a, a one or two month delay in the decision can have massive impact on the overall construction timeline. I mean, it's really concerning, isn't it? But it's obvious coronavirus has thrown up some really big challenges for the industry. But I think we're also seeing some really interesting opportunities opening up. So, I mean, one of the kind of most obvious things that I've seen is the way that companies are really embracing digital solutions and new technologies just to help them kind of navigate some of those challenges, whether it's staff working remotely, kind of restrictions on site that we're seeing. Um, we've actually got a feature in our June issue, which looks at the way that interactive 
innovative uh, tools and experiences are being used by the industry to kind of work around some of those uh, restrictions uh, because of obviously coronavirus. But beyond the context of the current pandemic, it'll be really interesting to see how the industry can continue that momentum and really continue that kind of driving that uptake of some of these new technologies for the longer term. Um, And another message that I'm kind of seeing coming out at the moment is a lot of talk about obviously the recovery period in the post-COVID world, but there will also be that massive need for more collaboration throughout the supply chain and more joined up thinking. I mean, but do we really think that's going to happen kind of post-COVID? One of the things I'm seeing people concerned about is risk being pushed down the supply chain. Um, And people concerned as more companies try to recover, that will happen more and more. But one of the positive things I have seen is the National Infrastructure Commission calling for an infrastructure bank to be established to help projects move forward and it be in a more collaborative way. So there's, it's obviously not just kind of doom and gloom across the industry. There are kind of positive messages coming out as well. Yeah, there are. But I think the next question about collaboration is always how to make it happen. And I think technology and sharing data sources might hold the key, which I guess is quite a good time to bring in our special guest to the discussion. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. Valued for their depth, breadth and scalability, Bentley Software Solutions can help you gain insight from the data you collect and coordinate, improve decisions and achieve better business outcomes. Your organisation may already be going digital, but if it's struggling to embrace change or realise the benefits of digital technologies, Bentley invites you to gauge your organisation's progress by taking one of our digital assessments. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace of possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going digital. So joining us to talk about remote working and overcoming the challenges of going digital, particularly as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, is Dustin Parman, who is Vice President of Project Delivery at Bentley Systems. Dustin has held several senior product and business development positions throughout his career related to the creating exceptional products and solutions servicing the infrastructure industry. Dustin has degrees in computer science and economics and has spent his entire career dedicated to creating technology that allows engineers, contractors and owners to automate the construction and operation of infrastructure. So welcome to the Engineers Collective, Dustin. How have you found the um, move to working from home? Well, first, thanks, thanks for having me, uh, Claire. So, uh, so how have I uh, adapted to, to working from home? So I think... Uh, like everybody, you know, we're getting used to the, the new norms of being kind of confined to some limited, uh, limited spaces from a, but from a, from a productivity standpoint, we really didn't miss that much of a beat. Um, I'd spent the majority of my life on the road anyway. So I already had kind of a pretty much a full-time mobile strategy for, for, for working. Uh, the, the only real difference is is just being limited in, in, in your space, but from a productivity standpoint, not, not, not a whole lot has, uh, has changed. So you sort of touched it on it a bit there, but do you think working for a technology company meant that you were, you were better prepared for the, the lockdown and the shift to working from home? Yeah, de- de- definitely so. Uh, you kind of have to eat your own dog food, so to speak, uh, in, in that regard. So we, we already had kind of a, a pretty strong kind of backpack mentality at Bentley, which basically means you can fit everything that you need to do your job in a backpack and, and kind of be gone in 60 seconds if you, if you need to. So, so a lot of our infrastructure, all of our backend systems and everything that allows us to, to, to work from a good uh, CIO policy and, and good IT strategy all around was very conducive to already uh, a strong work from home. 
practice. So we were, and, and many of our colleagues, probably I would say 50% of our colleagues globally already work from home full time if they're not, if they're not traveling. What about the construction businesses you work with? Were they ready for the shift, do you think? I, I think that's a, I don't think anybody was completely ready for this. Um, I think a, a lot of companies were better prepared for sure. I think uh, particularly when you look at some of the the larger kind of multinational construction companies, engineering firms that were already doing kind of global work and they were already doing distributed work sharing as just a part of normal business. Uh, that you know already had some prerequisites, so to speak, that uh, enabled these companies to adapt faster. Um, so if you take, for example, they had good collaboration tools, whether those be generic tools like Zoom and, and Teams to, to very catered practitioner types of tools for doing engineering, construction, field-based workflows, design and multidiscipline collaboration uh, to obviously good, strong uh, IT infrastructure just to allow their normal kind of operations to, to, to go ahead and, and conduct as normal. So, so yeah, I think it's kind of mixed. Um, we, we also have seen certain geographies be better prepared than other geographies. Uh, if you look at it, particularly uh, certain government sectors also were not really well prepared and got caught flat-footed during this. They didn't have a strong work-from-home strategy, mostly because a lot of um, you know internal policies about security of, of data and security of, of hardware and things like that. So, so you know, I kind of lump all those together: the geographic and the, the government ones. I think the good news was that. Um, because of the nature of those types of organizations, there's, there's lots of checkpoints and, and gates to get things, to make progress happen, right? And as a result of this, I think a lot of the red tape, so to speak, was kind of cut through pretty quickly. And a lot of the bureaucratic type of stuff that can take a long time to get approval of policy actually happened really, really fast. So things that would have otherwise, in my opinion, maybe taken years to actually happen, actually happened in a matter of weeks, um, just due to necessity. So more and more we hear people referring to digital workflows when talking about the use of technology and construction. Uh, just what, just wonder what does that actually involve and what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a big term. It means a little bit of everything, you know, going digital. What, what does that actually mean? And, and depending on who you ask, you might get a variation on a, on a different answer. So for, from my perspective, that means kind of automating, uh, automating your business, automating digital workflows, looking for opportunities to use technology as a tool to improve your total business outcome. So I think for, for companies that already have a strong going digital strategy, they, they know who they are, they know what they're trying to achieve from a business outcome, and they use technology as a tool to help them get there. Um, I think you know, from a trend standpoint, Automation is, is kind of the big one, but not just automation for efficiency. It's automation for control, for risk reduction, and overall, a better return on the investment. If you're in the government sector, you're not necessarily looking for profit, but you want to be able to execute your pipeline of projects more efficiently and more effectively and get a better quality result. If you're in the private sector on the construction or the engineering side, you, you want to do things more efficiently so that you can improve your overall uh, you know, margin uh, of your business. So I think technology 
what we mean by that is is really just kind of taking what what the industry has from a lot of manual processes, whether that be uh, just you know as basic as reviewing digital paper and PDFs and things like that to to actually hand to hand construction and and um, and you know particular types of uh, practitioners in the field. What of those practices can be can be automated? Maybe not completely automated. Maybe semi automated for the purpose of not only reducing cost but reducing risk, proving safety, uh, and overall having a, a repeatable process that that has the outcome of better quality of infrastructure that you're being built. So it's stuff that's re- better resilient and, and sustainable over time. The other thing that we're seeing with going digital, particularly around infrastructure, is this uh, acknowledgement in the industry that digital infrastructure is just as important as the physical infrastructure. And it may be not quite as important, but you know, somewhere on that scale, there's definitely an acknowledgement of its, of its importance. And so what do I mean by digital infrastructure? Uh, you may have heard the term digital twin before. And so digital twin or digital infrastructure just means that you, you have a digital representation of that physical thing, whether that's a road, it's a bridge, it's a dam, it's a building, um, or it could be even a small assembly or component within that. Being able to have a digital footprint of it, a digital representation, allows you to, to analyze that asset uh, over time much more effectively. So you end up with a digital built asset that you can augment over time as it's changed, as it's manipulated to actually use things like artificial intelligence and, and any other types of insightful uh, technology to, to, gain, to gain more information about your infrastructure, either as it's being designed, as it's being built, as it's being operated to make better cost-effective uh, decisions, uh, not only cost-effective, but also that impact safety and, and, and risk. So before the impact of coronavirus, what do you think the appetite was for digital workflows and how much of the industry really used them? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think there's one answer that, uh, that categorizes everyone, but I think there's, been a, there's certainly been a, uh, an acknowledgement and an appetite for going digital over the past, I say, three to four years. I think uh, one of the catalysts for that, there was a McKinsey report that I think, think came out in about 2017 or 16, they basically ranked all of the, the industries in the world and, and construction was second to last, right? It was only uh, ahead of agriculture. So I think that was kind of a wake up call to a lot of people that, hey, there's, you know, there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained. There's a lot of um, uh, productivity to be gained. There's a lot of quality to, to be gained by, by moving out of some of these analog based workflows to embrace more digital more digital workflows and, and digital workflows is, is a vast you know landmine of, of, of stuff right there's there's all different types of things there's there's tons of technology that's emerging in the construction space there's lots of technology that's emerging in the engin- engineering space and on the operations side of things which has traditionally been the the laggard with um, adopting new technology practices you're seeing a a wealth of stuff happening there with the cost of IoT and cameras and all these things really becoming commoditized. They're becoming the norm for infrastructure, for, for monetization, for uh, 
safer work conditions for doing survey and analysis of, of, of existing things. Um, even, even things like doing like environmental surveys and things like that for, for pre-assessments of, of design and construction. Used to, you would send crews out on the field to do those assessments. Now we're even as a result of the coronavirus, we're seeing scenarios where we're sending one person out, out in the field and we're putting everybody else on a Zoom call or a Teams call. And we use and the, the person in the field is nothing more than a drone pilot. And he's flying around, he's doing the assessments, he's capturing you know, photos and video, uh, and everyone's sitting on those meetings in real time, making those assessments, making, making decisions, uh, rather than having to, to go out into the field. Um, if you take that a step further and you start thinking about things where people are doing assessment surveys where they're in harm's way a lot of the time, particularly around uh, traffic and railway systems, things like that, where putting someone, a physical person inside of a roadway traffic or on a railway network, that's a, that's a, that's a hazard. It's a hazardous zone. So being able to use these types of new trends potentially to do, you know, things that would have required someone to physically go out in the field. I think that's, uh, that's, it's interesting. And I think, uh, you know, you'll see some of those trends start to stick. So would you agree that the pandemic is, is acting as a, a catalyst for companies that previously hadn't considered or hadn't really adopted digital workflows in the past? I, I, I absolutely think it, I think it has. I think for the companies that already had a strong going digital strategy and, and have made a lot of investments over the over the years, I think that that investment has, if it wasn't already realized, it certainly has been realized now. And I think for, for businesses that were slow to adopt uh, digital workflows, well, they're now at this crossroads, so to speak, where they, they're going to have to make some changes in order to survive, right? It, it, becomes, it becomes less about efficiency and, and productivity gain. It becomes necessity, Right, it's necessity for for survival through this. So, so yeah, I think it. I think it is a catalyst. I think uh, you know history has proven that uh, um, you know catastrophe and necessity is the mother of uh, of innovation at times. And I think this is this is no different for sure. I think we'll look back. Oh, I think we'll look back on this in um, in 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 a few years and say that it was uh, definitely a, a huge catalyst for for techno- technological advances. So are companies that are already using ProjectWise 365 or similar software before the lockdown at a massive advantage compared to those who are perhaps traditionally less tech savvy? Yeah, I, I think they, they definitely have had an advantage. So, so ProjectWise 365 was not a public offering prior to COVID-19. We had, we had uh, at our year in infrastructure conference in Singapore this fall, we had launched it as an early access program. So only a select few customers in the world were able to, to actually put their hands on it and start using it within their, their production environments. So I think when, when this all took place, they were already very well ready um, uh, to, to, to adapt to this. So once we made, once the pandemic uh, occurred, we realized, okay, well, we were already planning on releasing ProjectWise 365 this spring. Um, but we needed to expedite that by probably five, five to six weeks uh, just to get it out into the, the marketplace to mainly just to provide collaboration tools for those who needed it and those for those who were not well prepared. But to answer your question, uh, yes, I think the evidence that we've seen just over this short amount of time is 
the, the users that we had who were already using ProjectWise 365 either in by its own or using it in combination with ProjectWise Design Integration, which is our, 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 um, our ProjectWise application that we've had for a number of years. You can use them uh, side by side where you can have a combination of in the cloud, SaaS, and on-premise. So we've done several uh, interviews with, um, with users that you know, have definitely seen a lot of benefit from this. I think the, the quote that we've got from, from Foth Engineering was, you know, due to ProjectWise and other collaboration tools, they really did not skip a beat in their, their delivery of, of projects. And in, and in their case, um, they, they do a lot of work in the government sector, uh, particularly around the Department's Transportation in North America, where they're seeing they're seeing capital shifts as well. So you all, many governments are anticipating some level of, of stimulus that's going to come off the back of this because uh, the private sector getting getting impacted. So they're seeing shifts of people who had capital budgets allocated for construction. They're pulling those back. They're moving those forward. I mean, pulling them back. Sorry, not moving forward. Pulling them back into engineering and trying to basically clear their deck of all of their engineering projects or all their, their projects that were kind of in the planning phase but had not yet gone through engineering so that they have a strong bench for when the stimulus money does come, they can actually go straight into construction. So, so you've seen that. Other trends you've seen, uh, of course, is uh, in, the, in the dense urban areas, more construction projects are trying to get executed in those areas that would have otherwise been problematic when you have to deal with lots of people and traffic and uh, particularly on the transportation networks. And just following on from that, do you, do you think the gap between the sort of early adopters or the tech savvy companies and, and the sort of companies that have taken a bit longer to, to sort of upgrade to the digital workflows, do you think that will get wider or smaller as a result of the, the pandemic and the increase in working from home? And that's, I mean, that's something that's, uh, it's, it's, I think you'll, you'll end up, I think it will get wider in the short term. Um, I think the companies that were already well prepared will, will probably create a larger gap, I think. Um, but it's, it's hard to say. I don't have hard evidence there just yet. I think in the coming weeks and months, we'll, we'll start to get more, more data around that. But I think what you'll end up seeing is you'll probably also see a lot of M&A activity as well. So a lot of the companies that are you know, very digital and, and who have done really well through this, this period of time, it, and those companies that are you know challenged and they, they can't seem to get get over the hump and get their own digital strategies well in line, I think you'll see a lot of that type of uh, of activity. So it's helping those companies that have not really embraced digital methods part of the strategy behind Bentley's subscription free offer on Project Wise three six five. Yeah, that was primarily the reason why we put it out there. It wasn't necessarily um, to the existing user base that was already kind of well positioned for this. It was really to help a lot of the users out there that they didn't have a good engineering construction collaboration platform. They're probably using some combination of, you know, of, of, of productive tools, but not really catered for, for infrastructure and construction a combination of, you know, the one drives and drop boxes of the world for doing, you know, basic file sharing and kind of vanilla collaboration platforms. Um, we, we put project wise 365 out there, during this period of time to give them an additional set of tools to really do what they do every single day, which is, you know, design reviews, collaboration over, over engineering concepts, doing reviews of, of daily 
daily logs and construction correspondence with RFIs and transmittals and submittals with the supply chain of people who have to do things in order to to make a, a project a, a realization. So, you know, that's that's why we put it out there, particularly for those uh, groups that uh, that didn't have anything and, and who were used to doing all that, but doing it probably in a in a physical environment. And so as they transitioned to this digital environment, we felt like a lot of people wouldn't have been caught off guard and not really had the the, the tools in order to, to do what they need to do. Where once upon a time, they were all going to a conference room, they would lay out all their, their drawings, they would do their, their, their collaboration in, in real time, analog, but real time. Uh, you know, how, how do you, how do you uh, provide a mechanism to allow them to have that same efficiency, collaboration, uh, interaction with one another, but uh, to do it in a, in a digital fact, a digital form. Uh, and, and how quickly could a company uh, move towards digital workflows if they've never used them before? I, instantaneously. Um, I mean, you don't have to embrace everything overnight. Uh, I think one of the, the, the reason why we put ProjectWise 365 out in particular is we felt like the, the barriers to adopt it were very low, right? It, it, whether you're a work group of two or three people or you're an enterprise of five to six hundred people, it was meant to be kind of it was meant to be instant on um, and very approachable, and you know uh, tools that are from the very simplest level of collaboration to the most complex, depending on what your appetite for scale is, it, it's uh, it's available there to walk you kind of up that uh, that value chain and, and and productivity. So what advice would you give to a business that's looking to use it for the first time or perhaps looking to improve their digital workflows? Well, um, it's no different than any other thing. When, I, when people ask me, well, what, why should we you know, look at uh, evaluating technology? I, I think as a business, you need to look at what your core principles are and what you're trying to achieve as a business. That could be as limited as how do I just do business as usual? Uh, I think a lot of organizations will only shoot for that. And then I think you have other organizations that are trying to be a bit more transformative and, and have a bit more aspirational goals of where they want to where they want it to be. In many cases they already had that kind of strategy in place, but were, you know, in the early days of execution. This has expedited that in some in some cases. So so I think, you know, it all ties back to what you're trying to achieve as a business. And then the technology, you should you pick the technology that helps you achieve that. Um, I think particular for design and construction uh, firms, ProjectWise 365 is intended to help them uh, be, uh, produce projects more efficiently, uh, to provide that kind of collaboration backbone to allow them to, to do their business in a dist- distributed workforce fashion. Uh, and, and and account for all of the information and digital artifacts that are being created, whether those be lo-fi artifacts like you know, traditional 2D plans and things like that, to advanced artifacts, 3D, 4D models uh, that contribute to all to building this this uh, digital twin, so to speak. I think uh, you know that that's that's what our that's what our intent is, and uh, and I think the responses that we've seen so far have been uh, very, very positive and the uptake's been great. And are there some common pitfalls that businesses usually make that you could highlight to, to help uh, new adopters fast track themselves along the usual learning curve? 
So, uh, yeah, I, I think um, one of the things that, that we're doing is, as part of this, this uh, pandemic response is we, we basically made our experts available to all the organizations. So as they, they want to use the technology, we go, we put them, putting them through a, a training uh, exercise that kind of shows them to do the, the, the introductory concepts, the, the medium concepts, and then the advanced concepts. So there's a whole learning path that we've offered to all those users to help them onboard and, and have a over-the-shoulder look, so to speak. Uh, but I, I think it does tie back to, to the previous question, question is, what are you trying to achieve? I think businesses should really ask themselves, ask themselves that. I think not many people have had the luxury of doing that during this time because you had, everyone's had to react very quickly just to kind of stand up their businesses and, and, and be able to do business as usual. I think beyond that, when everyone's able to take a breath, uh, they should be aligning their technology strategy with what their business outcomes are. Or what they or what they hope they would be. I guess the main thing that people who are just starting out on their digital journey want to know is what are the benefits that they're going to see in their business. Can you give some examples of some of the gains that people might see in terms of say time and cost? Yeah. Um, so with 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 time uh, in particular, we're seeing uh, organizations around the world. Uh, gain efficiencies in some cases you know they're saving thousands of man hours a year on the on the big project wise implementations where they're saving millions of dollars just being able to be able to find the information that they need uh, to be able to uh, have accountability of data of who's changed what when uh, when things are released for work in progress to publish um, I think uh, we have lots of testimonials that we can provide of, of people who've been using ProjectWise over the, over the last few years uh, that, that basically can attest to hard numbers on um, you know, the, the quality that they've had, the days they've saved on the delivery of the project, the hours that they've saved uh, over traditional projects. I don't have those statistics right in front of me right now. I guess I should have, I should have but uh, uh, we can certainly provide those as a backdrop. Are there any flagship projects that Project-wise, 365 has been used on that we would be familiar with. So it's still new. Um, we just released it six weeks ago. So I think that the data is still too new for that. Uh, we, we have one project in particular that was used at our, uh, at, that was highlighted at our, at our year and infrastructure conference, which was the, uh, the FOTH project. Uh, uh, I can't remember which county it was, but it was there was a FOTH project that they did an interchange with it, and uh, so that was it was actually a a, a, a year in infrastructure be inspired award winner. So it's already an award winning package then. Yes, yes. <laughs> and t- uh, talking about projects, there, how how does uh, the benefit of Project Three Six Five benefit the delivery of the work? So uh, at, uh, at a very basic premise, it allows you to capture and archive all of your artifacts, whether those be documents, drawings, models. Uh, and then so once you've collected all your information, it provides uh, web access to all of that information, but it also provides all of the, the web tooling to do interactive reviews. Uh, so traditionally, if you wanted to do a review of... Uh, 
a 3D model, you would need desktop software in order to do that, just because of the graphical nature, the intensity, graphics cards, things like that, that would be required. Uh, with our ProjectWise 365, 3D, 4D models can be, can be reviewed with nothing more than a browser on any device, whether it's phone, tablet, uh, so that the information allows you to be a bit more immersive than, uh, than what you would have traditionally had. Uh, particularly with just a traditional document management system. And then you're putting all of the art, other artifacts that are relevant to the project in context to, to the model. So for example, 2D plans, material spreadsheets, uh, takeoffs, things like that. You're putting those in context to, to the model itself. So that provides you know, additional benefit of, of giving people the advanced tooling for doing collaborative reviews, being do spatial reviews in real time, but with uh, a tool set that is requires no installation and has really no barrier to, 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 to being able to be used. Anyone can, can, can use it very quickly. So um, it's, it's almost like a, having an environment where you can just have comments that are comments and interactions, dialogue, um, an informal ad hoc dialogue, so to speak. Uh, and then if you want something more formal where you want to be able to convert that into official issues and, and tracking and RFIs and submittals, you, you can do that as well. So what difference do clients see in the end product from using this kind of software? So the, the, the intent is uh, efficiencies. Uh, so to be able to reduce the amount of, of time finding the right information, uh, working off the right information, so time and time is money. And then the, the other uh, tangibles are you end up with uh, accountability on all of the data that is created, which can reduce uh, your, your risks, whether those uh, risks be in, in the actual delivery with liens and things like that. Um, and, and, and a better quality in, in result because of the, the quality of information that's going in. You reduce uh, efficiencies, you, you, uh, you reduce the, the amount of people having the wrong data at the wrong time, which results downstream in lots of change orders from the construction standpoint. So it's, it's really just trying to shave off the edges of the entire project delivery process so that you, you end up with uh, the same or better outcomes, but with a compressed funnel to deliver it. So if the coronavirus is a, is a catalyst for digital change in the construction industry, do, do you think people will stick with more remote working in the future? I think there's definitely going to be an element of that. Um, I, I think um, there's a lot of underutilized office space already in the world. I think, uh, I think a lot of organizations will probably have a wake up call that says, Hey, you know, maybe we don't need a lot of this space. Uh, but I think even at a bare minimum, even if that doesn't come to realization, I think most everyone will have a, a plan for not if, but when something like this were to ever happen again. And that, and that may not be a pandemic. It could be a natural disaster. Um, but I think everyone will have a better working from home strategy. I think the, the whole back camp, I mean, uh, backpack, backpack campfire mentality, I think will become uh, a, a bit more of a norm for, for a lot of industries. I think that's, that's something that's been very uh, 
it's been around for a, for a long time in the in the technology and in the, in the software sectors. But I think you're going to start seeing more traditional businesses embrace that type of mentality. What benefits do you think more remote working will drive for the industry? Well, I think I think it's going to drive digital workflows uh, to start. I think um, in order for us to be as efficient, uh, if 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 not uh, a lot more efficient, uh, we're going to need the the tooling there. So I think I think you're going to see a lot of innovation that's going to happen over the la- over the next few years as as a result of this. I think you'll start to see uh, lots of new startups. Um, that will will emerge. In fact, we're already starting to see some of them. You'll see a lot of new businesses that kind of catering to this type these types of workflows. You'll obviously see the 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 people that are already in this uh, business, like like Bentley, uh, uh, produce a lot of new innovations as, as well as a result. So I, th- I think we do believe that a lot of this is going to to stick. And I think I think in in you know. I, you never wish for something like this to ever happen, and it is a, a bit of a tragedy. But I think there will be some good things that come out of it. I think there will be, um, I think there will be uh, a lot of advancement in the technology sector around uh, engineering and construction that, that results from this. And in terms of those innovations, what what kind of technology do you think we will see developed over the sort of next five ten years that will will aid remote working? And yeah, yeah, I think on the. Particularly on the construction side, I think there's the, there's a lot of opportunity for construction automation. I think you're going to probably start to see um, more prefabrication, more offsite prefabrication happening. We were already seeing massive trends towards component t- component based construction. I think that's going to accelerate really really fast. That seems like a good place to be, where you'll see more site based assembly. I think as you get to more predictable uh, types of construction, that's going to lend itself very well to to automated and, and robotic based uh, construction in the field. So I, I think robotics is something that we'll see a lot more advancement. I think autonomous heavy equipment is something that we could see a lot of. Uh, and I know we had a, had a debate about this. Uh, Probably several years ago, I used to sit on a few panels uh, around uh, autonomous uh, vehicle technology, and then we started looking at how that could be applied to the construction industry. In some ways, construction industries are are more controlled, and in some cases, it might even be a, a simpler uh, model to solve. Uh, so I, th- I think you'll see a lot of that type of stuff where people can do things uh, remotely. Right? I mean, there's no reason today other than uh, policy uh, why why a dozer or earth movers and things like that couldn't be operated 100% remotely. Um, so I think you'll start to see some of that uh, take place. I think for, for tighter construction areas where you, you have like buildings and plants and things like that, where you have lots of disciplines working in tight spaces, uh, I think there's there'll probably be some changes there. We're already seeing changes, you know, based on shift work and things like that to keep people uh, at, at certain distances from one another. But I think that's just, you know, that's just more reactive. I think, uh, I think one of the things you'll start to see is, you know, how could robotics play, play a role there? And it'll, it'll start slow, but I think you'll start to see a lot of uh, advancement uh, in that regard. And then obviously digital artifacts, digital uh, collaboration, I think those will become the, 
those will become the norm. Those, those will be eventually in the next couple of years, those will be, everybody will be using that. And, uh, it'll be what's, you know, what's, what are the next things to come? So another pandemic in five to 10 years may not be so much of a challenge as we've had this time round. Do not, I'm not going to be quoted on that, but, uh, uh, but I, I think, uh, I do think we'll be better prepared. Um, I don't think, we've never seen anything like this in, you know, certainly in, in our lives. Um, so I, I think without a doubt we'll be better prepared. I mean, on all fronts, technology will be just a, uh, it will play a role, but there'll be, you know, a lot of areas uh, where as a culture we'll be prepared. Brilliant. Thanks very much for joining us today, Dustin. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the industry over the next six to 12 months to look how things change. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. If you enjoy listening to these podcasts, we encourage you to leave us a written review on whichever podcast platform you're using and share it online with your colleagues using the hashtag EngineersCollective. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. 